Connor McReynolds and welcome to The Dinner Party. In this podcast, I ask guests to tell me about their dream dinner parties. I want to know the venue, the menu and the guest list. Who are the guests? Why are they getting an invite? And how would the conversation go? This week, I am absolutely delighted to be speaking to the star of Mock the Week and Live at the Apollo, Jeff Norcott. On the MASH report, Jeff is known as the voice of conservative Britain. His political and social commentary has seen him appear on Question Time and Politics Live. He's a fascinating guy, and regardless of your politics, he is such a terrific comedian. I can't wait to chat to Jeff all about his work and his dream dinner party. So without further ado, here's the man himself, Jeff Norcott. Jeff Norcott, hello. Thanks so much for joining me on the dinner party. It's lovely to be here. How are you today? Uh, I'm all right. I'm just, I, there's, it's this weird thing that's happened for a lot of comedians in lockdown is that I'm very busy with stuff that's not necessarily remunerative. But it's all good fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I really, really appreciate you taking that. That wasn't a this. dig, by the way. That sounded like straight away. <laughs> yeah. Of all the enumerative things, at least this is straight up fun. At least it's not like a two-hour meeting. <laughs> no, totally. I, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time and, and also giving it the thought. Um, it's sort of the one thing I'm banking on is that it is a bit of time out of people's day, but hopefully it's quite a nice thing to talk about your dream dinner party. It's not a podcast well, yeah. where I'm asking people to sort of say, like, tell me about the five people who have hurt you most, you know. I'd feel a bit guilty about asking people. I mean, there's probably somebody that does that podcast, let's be honest. Probably. <laughs> who hurt you? Some, some New York comics coming on going, hey, who hurt you this week? We're talking about abuse, but we're making it funny. <laughs> but you've been super busy during lockdown. I mean, kind of writing, online gigs, podcasts. Uh, I mean, could you get used to this sort of at home working type thing or I, I think it has a place i mean i did like a run of uh, online gigs in august called the front room fringe because i just thought the fringe wasn't happening people yeah. like the fringe put the word fringe in the thing and, you, and and they worked very well they sold well and i you know doing i you know before lockdown maybe i was doing sort of four writing days a week uh maybe three to four gigs and other stuff that was probably too much so i've certainly yeah. discovered a, a balance uh, uh, you know and just you know like a lot of people with commuting you know most writing days were in london so there was kind of four hours out of each day there so so yeah, yeah. i i I'd probably keep hold and, and i've also upped my own podcast um you know from bi-weekly to once every week and i've got a patreon going for that so you oh, know, okay. you know with all the with all these things, but it does mean now that I take that so seriously now. I'm like, you know, there's people who paid decent money for that. I've got to, uh, yeah, yeah, the pressure's I've on. It, I've got to make it good. It's not like you can't always say, "Well, no, you're not paying for it," because actually, there's a decent <laughs> number of people that are. <laughs> and you're now uh, in a position where I guess, sort of, well, for now anyway, gigs are like traditional gigs are kind of coming back a bit. I see you've got mm. a tour show coming up in the next Yeah, I've got a few so. tour shows. If you, people go want to go and look on Live Nation, it's, I mean, it's always good to plug them before you've actually been entertaining or funny on the podcast, <laughs> but maybe this is the time to do it. But if you just go Jeff Norcott on Live Nation, there's a few dotted around the country. I mean, I, I was, you know, everyone has their own position on the lockdown dial. Some people were very pro it. Some people enjoyed being locked down. I mean, I, yeah. I, it didn't sit well with me. I like being out in the world. I like gigging and, and I just felt very keen to to do to do what I could and you know the comedy industry does have a tendency to be quite apocalyptic about everything I mean you know they're mostly lefties it's not their fault so every time <laughs> there's a bit of news they're like oh comedy is dead again and you actually the most recent 
lockdown news as we're talking here as we are in late september 2020 yeah it didn't really change much that was how shows were getting sold anyway you know like groups of two four and six done by 10 p.m you know that yeah i suppose the problem now is if there's any further restrictions it would probably body slam the whole thing but for now i'm still getting out there that's great. So did you did you get involved with kind of, you mentioned the online stuff. What about things like driving gigs that popped up? Did you try any of those? Or? Yeah, I did one um, very well-organized gig by the comedy store. It looked fantastic. It was in Northampton. They had an early and a late show. And I yeah. did okay in the early show. I think it was just the sheer adrenaline of being back up there. But in the late show, I just sort of thought it was so far from what I was used to. Now, some comics yeah. like, loved them and some comics really took to them like a duck to water. But... I would say that I and everybody who saw that performance would agree that I wasn't <laughs> perhaps in that group. Do you? Is it because you kind of thrive on sort of seeing the whites of people's eyes and actually being able to interact with people, whereas obviously yeah. in the driving you can't do that? Yeah, and I, I think obviously I should have known that and every comic thrives on that. But I personally, I, I'm very, you know, it made me realise how much I listen for the laugh and I look for the laugh. And, and, and not just that, but just to ride out the mood of the room. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's not. It's a very organic thing with me. You know, I, I, I change order of stuff. I change the wording of stuff all the time, and without any guide yeah. other than me, all, all, what you're then down to is your own self doubt, and yes. uh, that's the only thing you can hear. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a great quality in any format of a gig, I suppose. <laughs> Jeff, your comedy is obviously uh, so synonymous with your politics. Kind of moving away from what we were talking about before. Um, and I don't want to focus too much on that because I'm guessing like 90% of what people want to talk to you about in interviews is your politics and stuff. Because that is what we see a lot of you talking about on TV on things yeah, like that. I don't, I don't mind. I mean, it's, I always sort of say that in anything that I'm doing, it will be split three ways between politics, you know, like big P politics, what's going on Yeah, in party political sort of environments. Then it will be kind of social commentary you know, the big yeah. ticket issues of whether it's Black Lives Matter or whether it's uh, a kind of uh, sexual politics, that kind of thing. Yeah, and then, yeah. and then it will be observational comedy. It's always been, to be honest, even before I was known for talking about politics, that was kind of how it was. I've certainly stepped yeah. up. I, I, I'm more enmeshed in the kind of ongoing day-to-day of party political stuff now. But um, but I've always thought that, you know, personally, I would get bored talking about politics for now. And I, I think most people get bored listening to it. And, it, you know, <laughs> it's exhaustible. It's not that funny. <laughs> well, it's it's really interesting because it's, um, like you said, it's not what you, or maybe it was what you talked about before, but it's very much now kind of your your brand, I guess. But uh, well, I certainly... That there was there was routines that I had that were what would now be called contrarian, if you like. Okay. So, so they kind of went against the grain of um, of what most because I I would often find that thing of I mean give you an example when the credit crunch happened there was a lot of comics that was suddenly like yeah the the bankers man and and, and everyone was just ganging up on the bankers as, as though they were <laughs> the sole villains of the piece and I was sort of thinking is it just the bankers or people idiots for getting 125% mortgages <laughs> they can afford so uh, I you know just simply doing stuff like that I remember even earlier than that you know I remember like they got to a point where every comic had a, a George Bush routine and I sort of thought yeah I just, I just kind of thought like well, he's not that stupid is he you know what I mean like he's like he may he says stupid things in public but yeah. he's not. He's and, and, and even then, maybe I just tried to defend him just as an as an exercise, just because I just yeah, wanted to do something yeah. different. But you know, when you when you throw in your you know your own 
political bias uh, and conviction which I have, which is broadly centre right. Um, yeah. You know, it, it, I'd say it's harder to find subjects maybe than the left wing comic, but when you do, you're they're, they're richer in a way because less people have spoken about them. Yeah, definitely. There's there's a lot more fruit on that tree that you can pick from, I suppose. Mm. Um, but like it's you know it's it's fair to say also the scene is largely very liberal, kind of probably closer to center left or left even. Um, and you you speak your mind, and it's it's always really funny. You know, right wing comedy, particularly recently with some of the news stories that come out about the BBC, worried mm. about bias, all that stuff. And you've you've had to speak out about how you know, just labeling right-wing comedy as not funny is is just lazy and, and a stupid point of view, which is absolutely right. But do you ever, like, get so kind of tired of having to defend that? Do you ever well, just think, like, yeah, I mean, fuck I it, it would be easier if I spoke about something else? Or... Well, yeah, I mean, but also I've spoken about it in waves ever since, you know, I started talking about this in 2013. So a lot of people yeah. think that I just kind of, in the last couple of years, went, oh, this is a canny little opportunity. Um, but it hasn't been like that. But you, it comes in waves, basically. Like so, last year when I was announced on the BBC diversity panel, a lot of people yeah. just don't. Most people don't know who I am. So when when it comes around, you, you know, I mean, as was evidenced by the last discussion when it was Jim. You know, the main people trending uh, yeah, yeah. were Jim Davidson and Bernard Manning because there's a lot of people that still that's their last reference point. So you have to go yeah. through. But then again, in a weird way, the fact that so many people think such reductive and simplistic things make me think, yeah, I'm ready to, you know, I, I think it is naive. I think it's weird for people to think that one side got all the funny. I think that's funny in itself to just think yeah. that it's like a characteristic that was bestowed. <laughs> you know, like people say the devil got all the best tunes. And you think, well, you know, if right-wing people are evil, it'd be weird to think yeah. that they had all the mu good music, but none of the good Yeah, music. yeah. <laughs> um, and, and I think, you know, it may be, I'm not equating my experience directly with that of female comics, but there is a sort of... Uh, symmetry when you say you know one of the three things that people would say about right-wing comics would be they're not naturally funny that's what they used to say about female comics uh mm -hmm. there's no audience for it that was also what they used to say and all oh, they only speak about the same two subjects that lot uh you know <laughs> so so I, I sort of thought there was an irony you know particularly when you get uh yeah. comics you know particularly when you get people in the comedy industry that would have been champions of all other forms of diversity there yeah, was, uh, yeah a little bit of uh of a black hole. I certainly think, you know, if you're coming at comedy from a right of center perspective, there's, you probably try even harder to not just be mean for the sake of it. If you, if you know what I mean, like, because you know, of course, yeah. that you'll be accused of, of sort of, you know, playing, um, to type like there, you know, one of the cliches was, Oh, we have a right wing comedian. would just want to laugh at the poor. And I thought, I don't think I've ever heard anybody do that <laughs> as a punchline. I don't know how you get a laugh out of that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that, that would just be monstrous. It sort of stops being comedy at a point. Um, well, I don't but you're right. Like Jim Davis or Bernard Manning. I don't think laughing at the poor, um, you know, like if you want to equate right wing with bigotry, even still, I think that the main ones were racism and sexism. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think poorism was a thing <laughs> yeah. at, at any point, but it's just like, well, they think, oh, right wing equals mean, punching down, down is low, low is poverty, right wing is laugh at the poor. Yeah, sure. Well, your perspective on it is such an interesting one as well. You mentioned being on the, the um, inclusion panel at the BBC, and it wasn't based on your political views. It was your, your kind of experience of class. Mm. And you've done, you've spoken so brilliantly on class and how it's sort of the 
area of diversity that um, is is kind of under considered and under thought, and and that's so true. Um, and and I mean, coming at it from a sort of right wing perspective as well, something quite unexpected. It's it's all too simplistic to sort of think working class people are all Labour voters. And you kind of subvert well, they, well, that. Well, they mostly were. I mean, it's not like right-wing, you know, working-class conservatism is a new thing. You look back to the 1992 election, it was perceived to be won by Mondeo mm-hmm. Man, right, which is the idea of working-class made good in the southeast. Um, and, you know, blue-collar conservatism is, is here to stay, I think. Um, they're, they're, that's been an emerging trend since for a long time. I don't think Labour have won the popular vote in England since 2001. You know, and that mm. is quite, that's quite a, a stark statistic for Labour, isn't it? That even, you know, if you still think of maybe 2005 as part of the heyday of new Labour, yeah. they still weren't ahead in England. So that problem, yeah, is yeah. It, this isn't by no means new. This predates Brexit. This predates everything. Yeah. Do, do you think the way things have gone, particularly in the last, like, four or five years, or, or kind of as long as you've really been talking about politics and your comedy in, like, a very open way do you think there's any way back to a point where like both sides we, we sort of treat each other with a bit more respect and you know you you'll be able to say what you think on question time without coming in for a shit ton of abuse do you think that's possible well, now, no, I, th- I think, do you think we've gone too far social media, it's more about the medium which is social media will remain like that and if you just accept it which i have now the first couple of times when i got the first time i went on uh, question time i got overwhelmingly good feedback it wasn't a particularly bad experience mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the insults that i got the thing is when someone says to me that tory this or that right wing this i tend to discount them because i think that they've shown their bias is so strong that they're seeing yeah. me for that prism. So I ignore all those insults. You know, those are put to one side. But then the next couple of times, certainly there was something in and around the EU when things got very tense in 2019. And yeah. you know, it did, you know, it did affect me. I was, you know, like people really went for me. And, um, but then I kind of, it went through that. I felt a bit down. And um, and then I was like, well, I'm still breathing. It hasn't affected any opportunities. You know what I mean? It's okay yeah, for people yeah. to hate you and think that you're stupid or <laughs> project all of those things onto you and and um yeah so you just i do i do think more than ever i've accepted social media for what it is but i I don't think most people do you know i i think that most people still for whatever reason even though it's clearly this focus group of nutters it's like if you said (laughs) if you said it's a focus group of people that said i really want to be on the focus group and one thing that should preclude you being on a focus group is wanting to be on it (laughs) yeah and so i mean and you know, like it's just it's just pointless, isn't it? It's like, you know, people will say, Well, look at this tweet by this bigger or look at this tweet by anything, it's just such a small sample size. I, I fully believe that there are arsewipes. Yeah. This is a country of sixty six million people. <laughs> I just of course there are arsewipes. And of course they're gonna be the loudest people. I don't I, if you look overall, people's attitudes overall have improved, their attitudes become more liberal on a, on a lot of fronts and but yeah, for some reason, yeah. we want to take the evidence of that little panel of, of dickheads. And yeah. <laughs> I think if, if, you, if, you, if you, you know, if you take that on board, despite all the evidence to the contrary, as a, as, a, as a fair gauge of human nature, I think maybe you want to be angry, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you're very pragmatic about it, but it's also kind of depressing that you've sort of arrived at a place where it's like, well, it's here to stay. So we just yeah. have to live with it. 
but yeah, you're right. Like, I think you're Panamine, right. If Pan in Panama and people say he's behind you, and on Twitter they say you disgust <laughs> me, uh, I don't want to see him. But that's that's what it is. You know, though, if you approach it on those terms, then it, it, it feels better. Yeah, I think it was Spike Milligan who said uh, that everyone in the world's an idiot, and once you just accept that, it makes everything a bit more palatable. You yeah, just, I, I once think your your worldview like, is people are morons, then everything else makes sense. Yeah, but the, the you are one too, you know, like yes, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you're, you're you're part of of that, and all, I, I think what well, may be the difference between me and and certainly some political comics is that I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not high status, if you know what I mean. Like I don't, yeah, see myself. People perceive me as intelligent or not it doesn't bother me too much, you know. I. I, I like, you know, delving into funny things and interesting things, and I'm happy to run the risk of people thinking I'm stupid. Whereas I think sure. that political comedy perhaps is often associated with very high status, like, listen to me, I'm, you know, I'm I'm the the voice on this, whereas my voice is more that I've got a hunch on something, but I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. explore, you know, the inconsistencies in that hunch. Yeah, I like that. That's that's a good place to, to come from. It's very relatable for an audience as well. Um, Jeff, there's so much that I do want to talk to you about, but time's marching on and you've very kindly given up your time to tell me all about your dream dinner party. Mm. So before we get into the specifics of your guest list, uh, are you someone who kind of enjoys a dinner party? And what, what's the tone of a Jeff Norcott dinner party? I'll be honest, no, I, I'm, I'm not. Like, I'm very reckless. <laughs> I'm very restless. Like I don't, I don't like being sat down. I mean, when I go for meals at restaurants, I often think I wish I could agree up front how long it would last because I like, <laughs> I like to be free. I like to, and you know those those dinners that go on for like two and a half hours. And you know the worst yeah, thing yeah. for me is you know when the waiter comes a couple of times and people go, oh, we haven't even looked at the menu yet. I get so enraged. <laughs> Because I'm like, just look at them. I want to eat. Like, because to me, getting a drink and some food is is how I relax in that situation. Yeah, yeah. But it's not just that people send the waiter away. There's something about the performative way that they do that. It's like we're enjoying. We're just. Well, I'm holding court so much. It didn't even occur to me to think whether or not I want to eat bread or something. Well, this is your dream dinner party, so mm. you can you can decide. How long it takes for the dinner to come and everything. It's all 90, in your control. 90 this one. minutes, 90 minutes to uh, to two hours, between one and a half and two hours. That's that's that sounds like a good plan. You'll yeah, you'll have an agenda you'll get through in that time. And, and then, then we go out, time. we go to the pub after that. I like, you know, a bit more space, you know. Oh, I like that. Well, where would you, if you could have dinner with this group of people anywhere in the world, where would you choose to do it? I mean, if you know, I. I, I'd, I'd like to be in a, in a spacious restaurant. I'd like it to be on, yeah, you know, circular tables are a problem, aren't they? Because then you're, you're, <laughs> you're still at a farthest point from someone else. Maybe like in a semi booth with a rectangular table. Um, <laughs> I like but then with a the booth, people are hemmed in as well. Like I, I like freedom essentially. So let's yeah. say, let's say it's in my house, but with the promise that we'll go to my local later. That sounds wonderful. That sounds brilliant. Well, your first guest uh, is someone that iPhone users will be familiar with, whether they like it or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a legendary singer, songwriter, philanthropist, front of one of the biggest bands in the world for over 40 years. You're inviting Bono to your yeah. dinner party. When did you first become a fan of Bono? It's when I was about teenage, uh, I was about 13, 14, and my mate Mick, who was always just a head of music, he, he had listened to Actung Baby and he was into it. 
And I think mm-hmm. his dad had uh, the Joshua tree on cassette. And I right. just thought, like, you know, I'm, I'm an optimistic, enthusiastic person. You know, I like to have my head up, look into the sky. And there's something about their music, particularly on the Joshua tree, that just felt like anthemic and it was just so positive. Do you know what I mean? Like, and, and, yeah. and it was quite, you know, a lot of it was quite high tempo. But when I listened to Actung Baby, I, I just felt like it was such interesting music. And I felt like I, pos- I possessed this incredible secret. You know, I was on the, I was on the bus with my Walkman and listened to these sort of dark sounds. And so, you know, th- things like Zoo Station just sounded and still sounds so futuristic and otherly. Yeah, I just yeah. one of the coolest thing in the world. And then I went to my first ever gig, and my first ever gig was Zoo TV at Wembley. And it was the night okay. that they brought out Salman Rushdie. I don't know if you remember, but he'd been oh, no. he'd been he'd gone to ground because there was this author, you know, he produced a Yeah, book yeah, book. the fatwa against him, yeah. Yeah, the fatwa yeah, on his head, and he was so out of public sight. So it was his first appearance for ages. So he wow. appeared. Uh, and then they also had like a live link up with Sarajevo, you know, and there was some emotive. And I was like, oh my God, like this huge rock and roll spectacle with these political statements. I just thought, is this, is this what gigs are? Are they always like yeah, this? Yeah, yeah. I realised I'd <laughs> peaked at the very beginning. I don't, I never went to a gig as good as that. <laughs> that is certainly setting the bar very, very high. Is that something like that gig in particular? Is that something you'd want to talk to him about if you had him there at your dinner party? Well, I suppose when you have like, I, I, the good thing is, is that, you know, you, you almost want to say to people, like, do you, because they probably don't remember most things, right? You say, oh, do you remember that show you did in Boston in 2001? They'll go, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Let's start us with gigs, you know. But I think he would remember that one, you know, because it, <laughs> yeah. it went down <laughs> in, in folklore. Um, yeah, I, it just was so important to me. And, and just the exhilaration. And, and also that it was slightly... You know, I suppose this is something that's been interesting to me is artistically just being, can you be a bit ahead of the curve? Just a bit, not not like loads, mm, mm-hmm. but just what's the next thing? And, and it just looked like something from the future, the whole set and the, the grandeur of, of the big intro. And, and you know, I think with, with Bono, like it became, you 2 were, everyone loved you 2 and then everyone loved to hate you 2 And then I think it's become almost standard that people give you two sticks. It's almost yeah. cliche, you know, with that album dropping on. And can I say on, on, on a technical point about that album, right? So everyone, oh, yeah. everyone got so uptight. Like, I'm like, what's this U2 shit on my iPhone? Jeez, you know, what is, <laughs> oh my God, like their, I, like their iPod was this yeah. sanctity <laughs> of brilliant music. You know, like, like, these poison the well. It was actually, it was, you had to download it still yourself. So it's essentially a thumbnail, right? It was a token. Ah. This is where, but this is where narratives get twisted. The same happens with politics. Yeah. Right? You know, it was a, it was a token that you, you had to press to then you had to choose to download it. All people got That's was a free token to invite, uh, to download an album. And they got so bent out. Of people got so worked up about the option of hearing you too. Well, it was just it was just a way of people going online. Essentially, all people wanted to do is go online and go, "I love great music." Me, do you know me? The music yeah, I love yeah. is so great. I'll tell you something, because <laughs> I don't like you too, which means I have good taste. <laughs> well, Bono as a as a kind of figure, even outside of music, obviously musically, he's kind of legendary, and he's he's collaborated with like pretty much every kind of hero, like from Sinatra to. Willie Nelson. I mean, he's amazing. But outside of music as well, he's he's a very interesting guy. Quite a divisive figure. Mm. Would you have any concerns that he'd ruffle some feathers at your dinner party, or is that kind of what you're hoping for a little bit? 
Well, looking at Pete, I, by all accounts, he is likable. You know, like he, he's friends with quite a wide range of of, of people. Um, mm-hmm. He's very very short, but you know, so <laughs> apparently quite pugnacious as well. You know, like from the bit oh, of Dublin, yeah. Dublin that he came from. You know, he, he had to stick up for himself. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, so no, no, I, th- I think if anything, you know, looking down the list of who I got, but not. You know, pulling back the curtain, I, I think he'd probably be the the sort of talisman of the group. You know, there was a story okay. once that he, when Robbie Williams was like kind of a bit up the wall and a bit, you know, strung out. Uh, he went to mm. Bono's mansion and Bono played bingo with him. <laughs> you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe maybe he took like Peter and the young man that was partying too hard and just thought, you know, I'm going to show you, uh, you know, bring him down to earth a little bit. Yeah, I mean, down to you're still in Bono's mansion playing bingo, but um, <laughs> and he, you know, I, I, I think he's, you know, and uh, there is also, you know, there's there's the issues with the the taxes with you two and other yeah. things. I think he's, you know, he's not he's not perfect, but I think that I suppose what he, because you know, if you look at the people that have generally annoyed me artistically, I don't like virtue signalers, so it is strange that I like him. Um, yeah. He's he's very outspoken about it. But then again, I guess that's something maybe you guys share. Like, you're outspoken about your views, as is Bono, and he kind of stands by his convictions in the same way that you do. Albeit if the views are maybe occasionally a bit different. Um, I think he's got a sense of humour about himself. I do get that impression. Like, there's, there's if you know the band well enough and the lyrics well enough, he, yeah. he's aware. Like, so there was a, the, um, a, a lyric of his once upon a time, those who can't do often have to preach you know like i think he knows okay he, yeah he was playing that quote about those who can't teach and you know yeah yeah bono was quite preachy and there was there was an old joke about <laughs> bono wasn't there that um yeah sort of dead rock star goes up to heaven and they see uh, a guy in fly shades and sort of p- black pvc and he's kind of <laughs> talking to the group and they go jesus you know is that is that bono and they go no no that's just that's just jesus he just thinks that he's bono <laughs> <laughs> I like that. What what would you be hoping for from Bono? Like, would you be hoping once yeah, you guys no, hit the local afterwards, a wee yeah. bit of a, a tune or? Yeah, I think he likes a, a, a bit of a sing along down the pub. I think he, I think he kicked the pace on a bit with the drinking. You need that in every group. You need like absolutely a need a talisman. I, to be honest, I'm probably that guy socially in groups. I if I think like we need to get a bit drunk here to make this interesting, I will. Yeah, yeah. I will <laughs> Like a shot. I, I, I don't call them shots. I call them game changers because I think they're... Because <laughs> you kind of got... Four, if you do a shot of Sambuca or something like that, there's going to be 40 minutes where things will be a bit different. Like, it's guaranteed. <laughs> I, the dice on that. I like that. It's kind of like rolling a dice and seeing what direction the evening goes in. That's fun. Yeah, it could go curly. It could go weird. But, you know, if you just want... If you want to, because you know you will recover from that, and you can then choose whether or not to <laughs> gambling. You know, you are if you lose the first time, you are on a you are on a hard <laughs> into nothing. But I, I, I think that he there was a, there was a gig that you two did out in Sarajevo years ago, and um, they you know they've been playing for ages. This was shortly after the war out there and, and and he went out and got smashed the night before the gig and he almost lost his voice in the gig. So there's plenty. Oh my God. It's not, oh, not wow. really very professional. He's actually not cool really, but what it's <laughs> the man does like a night out. 
I like it. Well, that is setting the the tone for a dinner party with your first guest. And your next guest, again, is someone who's another uh, complex figure. He was part of the crazy gang Mm. uh, from Wimbledon in the 80s and 90s, later became a TV presenter. You got John Fashionu coming to the dinner party. Big Fash, yeah. I mean, he. You you grew up in Wimbledon, didn't you? So you were a, a Wimbledon fan, I'm assuming? Yeah, I went through that journey with that side, you know, around 86 and through winning the cup. And Fash was around for a few years after that as well. Unlike a lot of people, he did stay at the club for a while. Uh, When I was reading about him today, he sounds like he was mad. Like, violent, temperamental. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crikey. So he was quite a violent player. You know, he took out quite a few people. Gary Steve is involved in that Vinnie Jones tackle where him and Vinnie... I mean, who wants to be at the, on the end of that? Vinnie Jones and Sandwich. <laughs> uh, Gary brutal. Stevens in, in, in a tackle. He also took out Gary Mabbott's eye socket with an elbow. Yeah, yeah. But I saw the photo not, earlier. He's underrated as a player. You know, I think he was, he was devastating in the air. And I always think... Footballers that can head a ball are underrated because it's it's essentially a volley with your face, isn't it? Like the bravery of it doesn't get enough credit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you think he, he deserved more kind of England caps than he got? He only got the two. He got the two. Yeah. Um, no, no, is the truth. I think that <laughs> I just don't think that he suited. You know, the way that that Wimbledon played at the time was was perfect for Fash, but I don't think the way that England played would have ever um, suited. Sure. That. I suppose the closest to him would have probably been Shearer in a way, which is, you know, very good in the air. You know, if mm-hmm. you can get service into Shearer like that. Uh, and also Fash was quite good from distance. Where he where he didn't have much game was one-on-one finishing. He was very bad. Uh, one. <laughs> the, in 2007, the Times named him the uh, 22nd in the list of 50 worst players ever to have played in the Premiership. Ding, that's harsh. That's wrong. I mean, like, I'm just going to say that is not correct. <laughs> he had a great record from the penalty spot, almost up there with Matt Letizia. You know, and he played, yeah, I think I think that is, I think, you know, if, if you were talking about most divisive figures, you know, or yeah. moments, like you can make an argument <laughs> for that. I think as a player, I think sometimes that's just a bit of a simplistic reading of his yeah. life persona and, and what he did on the pitch. I could show you like some of the goals he scored from distance it were, were, set, were exceptional, but he was, well, he's, you know, he is, um, he, he's a, he's a confusing guy. You know, he's got, and he's been in, with his brother and the legacy yeah. of how he treated his brother when his brother came out. It's, it's dodgy, man. Yeah. Like it's, you know, it's very difficult to sugarcoat it. Like he was very cruel about that. Um, there was also the match fixing scandal. I know charges were dropped, but yeah, he's like he's a complex guy to say the least. Like, what would you want to pick his brain about if you had well, him there I, at your dinner party? I just want to know what is what is going on. Also, you know, he he was involved in a, uh, a corruption, you know, a bribery uh, oh. which he got acquitted of when I was a Wimbledon fan. But he he was accused that he'd taken money to throw football matches now. A bit of context, when I was about 14, 15, for some reason I was able to write reports for local newspaper. But he, <laughs> he, I, I said in a report, uh, was John Fashnu trying to throw away the points, the ball or both after he'd handled the ball for a penalty once already and did it again in the 90th minute? Now, I wasn't at that time thinking Fash has taken a bung here. But yeah. it went to court and, you know, certainly as Wimbledon fans, we could all remember times when Fash came back into the penalty area when he didn't need to yeah, and, and uh, you know, took out players. So 
so yeah, he. I would just, I would just love to get a sense of the man. I'm not saying that he's a good human being. I'm just saying that I yeah. think he, you've got to have that firecracker in there, you know, of a dinner party, and it could be Fash. He's, he's such an interesting character to choose because the the temptation maybe for a lot of people would be to choose people that they just really like and would have a really nice relaxed evening with. But it sounds like you kind of want to mix things up and sort of challenge yourself almost yeah. a little bit with this guy here. Yeah, well, I suppose I've always been like that. You know, I don't I don't think I, I don't like I suppose like my, both my parents, which, uh, you know, they were both complicated and, and challenging people in a way. So mm-hmm. so therefore. Yeah, I, th- I think fashion, and I would love to see how fashion would be challenged by the people around him. It's worth saying as well, you know, you mentioned earlier about him doing TV presenting. That was that was while he was still a footballer. So he, you know, he, yeah. I think he was the first footballer to wear red uh, boots as well. Um, oh, you know, yeah. Sort of ahead of the game in, in, yeah. in, a, in a lot of ways. He also had one of the shittiest catchphrases ever with a wooga. <laughs> We'll remember from um, Gladiators. From Gladiators, of course, yeah. So he had something in him, you know, but it, it, both him and his brother were, uh, came, you know, they were um, orphans, you know, so yeah. they, they yeah. came from Bernardo's home. So, you know, whatever whatever difficulty is in him, you know, partly came from, you know, he had a t- very, very tough upbringing. It's not to excuse yeah. all of it, but um, I maybe want to get him talking. You know, what's the real fash? He's, he's a fascinating choice, Jeff. I, I mean, definitely, I can see the appeal of having him there. He would be a brilliant person to to kind of dig a little deeper into. Um, but your third guest is, uh, she's royalty, at least in a galaxy far, far away. Mm. She was an actor, writer, comedian, mental health activist who rose to fame as Princess Leia in Star Wars. You've got Carrie Fisher coming to your dinner party. I'm making the assumption now that you're a fan from Star Wars, but maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I love Star Wars. I, lo- I loved it from, you know, like a lot of, not just blokes, obviously, but boys of my generation in particular. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was, and, and, you know, Carrie Fisher is, it wasn't just that she was beautiful and, but she was sassy. You know, they talk a lot about, you know, where, where are all the, the positive female role models in films? Well, we, we had one back in 1977. Yeah, yeah. You know, one of the first things she does is take the gun off Han Solo and says, yeah. it's me, I'm going to rescue myself. And, you know, doesn't doesn't do any harm that she looks amazing as she does all of it. <laughs> yeah. But she still she does it. A proper ass kicker. Uh, yeah. How did you feel when, when you saw the kind of the more recent Star Wars movies? And obviously she was back in those. Yeah, Were you I mean, glad to see her there. Or? I, I, I don't know. I think that I mean, you're you're talking to a Star Wars nerd now. If you want to get into a sequel <laughs> trilogy chat, it could. I think that they were a bit of a mess, um, and I don't know if it should have. It's strange because I grew to love the prequels eventually um, because they oh, added, wow. they added to the main trilogy. They did add to Jeff the of all your controversial opinions. I think defending the uh, the prequels have that's got to be your most out there opinion. You look, they obviously have flaws, but if you look at them, they have stood the test of time quite well. And then there's certain themes in them that are weirdly prescient about you know separatists and trade federations, all that stuff that seemed boring. <laughs> and a bit, what is he going on about now? Ever since Trump and Brexit, you're going, oh right, yeah, okay. <laughs> and let's not get into who the EU would be and who you know. That, <laughs> I don't think it's as clear cut as you might think, but um, but yeah, that added to the story. Whereas I, I, I felt that the sequel trilogy, certainly in terms of the main characters, just just didn't really add to the story. It wasn't. Uh, I think the first one was good. The second one was an interesting film, 
the last yeah. Jedi. I don't it was a bit mad. I don't know if it's a good Star Wars film, but it was an interesting film. And then Rise of Skywalker sort of had to tie up way too much stuff to be a cohesive film in itself. So within that context, you know, having to use old little bits of footage of Carrie Fisher here and there, and she, you know, she wasn't yeah. all accounts on her best form at that time, you know, which you always struggling yeah, with yeah. drugs. So, so yeah, I, you know, it was great to see them. Certainly the force awakens. It was great to see them all again, but, um, but, but yeah, I, I, I think that if, if you know, it, it, I, I, maybe they would have gone, been better going down the road of a brand new idea straight away rather than trying to. Yeah. Well, I mean, of uh, you're such a star Wars fan and of all the people you could have invited that were associated with those films, why is it that you chose Carrie Fisher to come to your dinner party. Well, I mean, I'll be honest, you know, these days in comedy, you've got, you know, you've got to have a couple of females in. <laughs> you know, so, so I, uh, I want to have balance. Of course I want to have balance. Uh, and, and, you know, I am, um, I, yeah, I, I think that she was funny, you know. Yeah. She'd be yeah. challenging because she's been around egotistical men her whole life, right? Uh, yeah. You know, she had a strong figure for a mother. So I'd imagine nobody would intimidate Carrie Fisher. So with Bono and John Fashionu, you know, she's not going to suffer fools gladly. And I, I just, I don't know what it is about sassy women, like women that can cut men down with like a, a line or two or a look. There's just something, I think that I've always been drawn to women like that, you know, just strong. I think strong women is one thing. I think sassy women is is another is another characteristic that I've, I've always gravitated Yeah. Outside of Star Wars, uh, like, did you enjoy her? I don't know if you watched Catastrophe. She was so yeah, great she in, that. in that. She was um, Harry Met Sally. She was great in that. Yeah, yeah. And she did, uh, like, so yeah, much kind of writing and, and script editing and stuff. She was such a, like, a multi-talented creative person and really frank, really honest. What would you be hoping for from her at a dinner party? Well, fun as well. I mean, look, I mean, you know, in the end, she did have problems with drink. But let's just say this was in the good time. You know, I think I think her yeah. and Bono would get on famously I do, immediately. I think those, yes. two, those two are going to yeah, come. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, and and I, I think that she would be, you know, just the photos of it. There is that problem, isn't it? People have so much, like, light in their eyes that it also means that they, they, they have their demons too. But, you know, when you catch them on a good yeah. evening. I'm not, you know, I mean, obviously I'm not, like, famous but I'm not that person in a social situation, if you know what I mean. I'm not. Yeah, I'm yeah. not the life and soul of the party. I can, I can, I can be loud sometimes. But I'm, <laughs> I'm not that kind of brimming person, you know, that just everyone kind of crowds yeah. around. I've never been that person socially. She's one of those people that just immediately seems like, like you say, there is that spark about her or there's that kind of just extra something that sounds a bit cliched, but yeah, like she really would kind of, you would notice her in a room above other people. Like there's just Star, something yeah, about Stardust. her. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, would you have any burning questions for her, like about her life or her work or, uh, would you just want to kind of just have a bit of a laugh with her and not ask her too much about herself or how would that uh, go? I, you know, I suppose what, what I'm interested in is when people get famous for something huge before, because I don't, I, I still think things that happened in my early twenties were, were before I really knew who I was. So, I think it must be weird to emerge into adult life with that still going on and then just mm. you know, throughout your life getting a grip on what it meant to be Princess Leia, to be that that uh, semi yeah. character, you know, how, how it feels. And, and just, you know, I wonder, you know, is it a curse or a blessing? It's, it's, it's a cliche and it's an old question, like whether mm -hmm. or not she would have rather not been 
that person. You know, whether yeah. she, would have been, she would have been, you know, known for something else. I think that, you know, certainly with the other Star Wars actors, Harrison Ford has a very grumpy relationship with being doing anything ever yeah 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 then being han solo he's very nonplussed about the whole thing um whereas mark (laughs) hamill was very angry you know after star wars very distant from the star wars mythology and all the kind of fan conventions and then and then changed but with that might have just been because there was way less work and he thought i better better, better (laughs) rediscover the love for this um (laughs) <laughs> but but he but he he you know he sort of embraced having been Luke Skywalker and then I, I think that yeah. sort of started to realise how how rare it is for any actor to have just had something that's connected with people on that level. That's the thing I can never imagine doing anything or being part of anything that like means so much to people. Obviously, Star Wars means something to you, but there are also fans to whom it's not just like important, but it's kind of everything. And it sort of identifies, or you know, defines them in a way. Um, and it, it must be like a bit of a pressure to kind of be that and mean that to people, I suppose. Um, but yeah, she's a fascinating choice for a dinner party and a great counterpoint to the two people that you've already invited before. I hope so, yeah. Well, your next guest is an author who's been listed for the Booker Prize twice. And some of the times named as one of the 50 greatest British writers since 1945. Again, this is someone who's courted his fair share of controversy. Uh, you're inviting Martin Amos. Yeah. So when I was at university, it was round about, you know, the mid 90s. It was the time of the new lad revolution. And it's it's hard to explain now. But, you know, these sort of passages of time with feminism and, you know, um, questioning of masculinity, they do, they are mm-hmm. cyclical. So we had the new man at the beginning of the 90s, right? Loads of cardigan wearing guys, photographing <laughs> themselves, holding babies and all, all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, there was this reassertion. But the interesting thing about the new lad revolution was that it had people like Blur and Oasis and it was it was quite, you know, you had people like David Baddiel in it. And then, so, who mm-hmm. you know, who's the comedian that's on side? You were looking for who's the rock stars that are on side? And it was just, yeah, we like beer, we like football, we like women. It was radical yeah. things to say. And <laughs> I'm not sure they ever really go out of fashion with young men. Um, and then Martin Amis was, you know, the novelist. Yeah. Well, when did you first, so you started reading his work at uni or? Yeah, so we we had our reading list at uni and, and uh, you know, it was very, I went to Goldsmiths, his uh, liberal arts college and it was very, um, yeah, very lefty, very save Cuba, um, very, <laughs> you know, save the whale, save, save loads of stuff that was miles away. And um, and I never fully fitted in. And this is the interesting thing again when you talk about comedy. When you when you eventually find your comic voice, you sort of realise it was there all along. And I felt okay. out of place with that. And I did, you know, women in literature literature courses, and and it was all like, you know, they they sort of seem to venerate all the right people in inverted commas, you know. Right. And, um, and I thought, yeah, I like these books, but they don't really speak to me. And and then um, I started reading Martin Amis. I read uh, Money. Um, and it, you know, there's a lot of swearing in it. There's a lot of sex, yeah, drugs, and you know, there's just bad language. And I, I just, <laughs> I liked it, and it was well written. But I could tell it was smart. You know, I could tell it was clever too. And and that meant that I was allowed. It was naughty then because it was like a loophole. I was like, well, I think I'm getting smarter reading, <laughs> but I'm also uh, engaging with the things that excite me. Is he someone who like you have fond memories of liking him at a time, but maybe you yeah it, it hasn't carried on or like because we're speaking 
today is the publication of his first novel in six years. Is it? Well, it's something that far yeah. It. yeah, yeah, I didn't know that. Um, um, you know, yeah. is he someone that you kind of still get excited by or is it someone that you remember fondly? It is. It's a bit like you too, really, because I think that the time that I got into it was around the time of the, you know their sort of peak of their creative powers. Like you two around for me around Acting Baby and then Zero. Mm-hmm. Then they've had flourishes since then. You know, you still think you know. I'd still probably say that a, a decent, like a medium, a moderately good U two album or Martin Amis novel. I'm probably going to enjoy most more than most other sort of competitors, if you know what I mean. Even if okay, it's not, yeah, even yeah. If it's not their best work. So I'd certainly check out. Martin Amos's latest novel. But yeah, that time I kind of got into him around, yeah, he was sort of at the zenith of his powers. I think, I mean, it's still, you know, like I think Money and London Fields were in the 80s. Time's Arrow was early 90s and then he had one called The Information. Mm-hmm. I mean, The Information was a weird book for me because he mentioned the character from Wimbledon who who I knew. So I still don't know how that oh, happened. Oh, wow. A bloke called Stephen Cousins. Now, I don't know if he just came up with that name, but I saw, so he got closer and closer. And Amos always had a fascination with the working classes. Like he always seemed to think that there was something more truthful and honest in there, more yeah. funnier as well, more creative of language. I, I do think that about working class people, that I think that it's more the language is more visceral, it's more blunt, it's more honest. And I think that that, that so consequently that spoke to me Two, uh, but yeah, yeah, probably with him and you too. There, there's a, probably a bit of symmetry there. Well, that's interesting. I mean, also, uh, I, I see a bit of symmetry with you, and and again, it's that thing of conviction of belief and being outspoken. Like he's caught a controversy. Two thousand six, he said some reprehensible things about Muslim people in relation to uh, terrorism. That there should be stripping away of rights and that kind of thing. Mm. Um, do you think he's someone who you would enjoy getting into, like? the issues with like having a good yeah, I don't discussion know, you know, about I, things. He's maybe the one on the list that I've probably put down because I'm a, you know, I've been a fan and I find him interesting. Maybe he's the one mm-hmm. that I haven't thought enough about how he'd fit into the dinner party. I, I don't know what he'd be like socially. I mean, novelists generally are quite on the edges, aren't they? You know, they're quite, like, mm. uh, like, living their heads a lot Simon Barnes and all that you know it's the nature of the job isn't it so I don't know <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I know if he gets stuck in I mean he certainly seemed to think that you know alcohol and, and you know uh, making merry was it was a good thing as evidenced by his book I don't you know I don't know what age he is now he's got to be pretty old himself now I think uh, he's 70, uh, 71 now yeah yeah so I, 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 I think I think he could I think he could fit in I think him and him and Bono would get on all right I think yeah, Bono, yeah. I think Bono would want to chat to him. More, yeah, perhaps. well, Bono seems to fancy himself as a bit of a philosopher as well, so maybe yeah. a bit of a novelist's mind going on there too. Yeah, I do think I don't know what Carrie Fisher would make of him, but you know, again, you know, Carrie Fisher's a writer. I think. Yeah, that's just, true. And you know, that's all true. the rest of them are very outgoing, so perhaps he he could slot in quite nicely. Yeah, I'd say so. And he's got something in common with you as well in that you both have experience of teaching. He was. Uh, a teacher at university level, but obviously you were secondary schools. Uh, so yeah, maybe that's another area of conversation that you guys could get into as well about teaching. Yeah. Uh, well, your final guest, Jeff, is someone uh, who you already know very well. I imagine you've already had a good few dinners with this person. 
your final dream dinner party guest is your mum. Yeah, so I should say, you know, just just for your sake that she passed away 11 years ago. But I only do okay. that because I've got you because she's been gone long enough that I try and spare people the awkwardness of making. Thank you for that. I wasn't sure. I'd seen some of your stand-up where you talk about how your dad had passed away. Yeah, yeah. Well, I wasn't sure about your mum. You know, quite a long time ago now. But but it does, it does happen that people go, so... You know, she she she'd be up for this still, you know, and you have to kind of make it. But yeah, she sure sure. Yeah, she, she hasn't <laughs> been around for a while. But like, if you you know, I mentioned about charismatic women, you know, and yeah, maybe the reason that that I am drawn to somebody like Carrie Fisher is because my mum was like that, you know, full of sass. Yeah, you know, she was a she was an orphan herself, and um, you know, but she had you know, she was uh, you know, you know, like the character of Phoebe in Friends. There's this backstory. Yeah, kind of grew up rough. I never really bought it with Phoebe. I thought it was an interesting character, but I just knew whenever she said those lines, I thought, I don't believe you. But my right. mum really did have that life. And um, oh, wow. consequently, uh, you know, she was another one that didn't suffer fools gladly. I don't know if anyone suffers fools gladly. I don't know if people go, oh, look, a fool. How brilliant. But maybe some people are polite around them and kind of don't yeah. want to ruffle gladly. feathers. I mean, it should be suffers fools politely or silently, <laughs> not, <laughs> yeah. not gladly. Because if you think they're a fool, or maybe some people find a fool makes them feel better about their own intellectual shortcomings. But... <laughs> But she, um, but yeah, she she was just really interesting around people, and she would often get to the heart of people very quickly. If I had a new friend or a girlfriend, or my sister had a new boyfriend, she'd be like, she'd work them out, you know? Right? Yeah, yeah. I, I read a little bit about uh, you've spoken about her in a few interviews, and you you said that she was very left field, and while she could be diplomatic, she could also be blunt with language and opinion. Mm. And it, it sounds like she would be such a perfect fit for this group that you've put together as well. Oh, she would, um, and her and Bono would stay in touch for life, and it would be galling for me that my <laughs> Bono would be way more taken with my mother than he would be with me. <laughs> she certainly had, like, she, you know, I think her, so she was an orphan when she was five, but what we know of yeah. her mother was that her mother was some sort of actor, some sort of actress that just got oh, wow. in trouble, you know, you know, she... <laughs> I mean, she got about a bit. Look, put it, she, you know, she, she, had, she had, I know that's politically incorrect, but I don't care. It, it's a long time ago. She, she had three kids by three different, but you know, so there was, so sure. she got in over her head really. And my mum was the least sort of, uh, you know, she kind of put her efforts into the two kids that needed it most in a way, you know, because they had certain okay. problems. So my mum was orphaned. But I, I do wonder if there was a performance-based streak in, in my mum. Um, but, but the anxiety that she had from her being orphan meant that she never really went for it, but she was definitely yeah. a, show, a showman, you know, for want of a better word. Well, she sounds fascinating because you've you've spoken about how she stood as a counsellor for the Lib Dems yeah. and how she uh, was a big influence in kind of your comedy as well. I think in the same interview that I read, you said that she, uh, the way she spoke and the way she was quite forward and sort of straight to the point, that sort of influenced the way that you you think of comedy too. Yeah, well, she didn't she didn't mince her words. I think like certainly she was um, conciliatory when she needed to be. She was a good diplomat. Like I mean, put it this way, she knew how to de-escalate tensions once she escalated them. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I certainly think that in my comedy, I sort of do that. You play with the line, then you sort of go, okay, it may have been crossed, uh, breached a little bit. I pull it back, and it's an ongoing push, you know, tug of war between you and the audience. Sometimes, certainly yeah, when yeah. in Edinburgh. Um, and and yeah, she 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 was like that. She, you know, like she's just really smart, and not the kind of you know. There's always that thing of degrees and 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 kind of academic qualifications, but just naturally very quick to pick things up and 
Yeah. Minded. I think I think um her and Carrie Fisher would be thick as thieves. It sounds it. It sounds like they're kindred spirits. Um well what do you think there would be any qualities that your mum would have brought to a dinner party that maybe the others wouldn't have? Or how would she what would set your mum apart at the dinner party? Rules. She'd probably be, you know, like uh, the matriarch of the group, so that she'd be probably set the moral standards of the group. I think she'd probably have a word with Fash, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'd give anything to see that. Just bring him down, <laughs> you know, Fash. Let's have a word, right? You, what's going on? You know, she would just. I think he would. <laughs> he would really be drawn to her as well. Like he, he at the end of the night, so I'd really love to continue this conversation. You know that that sort of one. Yeah. Um, oh. She was, you know, she was good, like, because she was good at picking up waste and strays, you know. Like, me and my sister, we used to hate it when we were kids living on the council estate because she'd always be trying to, you know, on some mission to save someone. But um, <laughs> it, was, it was definitely her thing. She sounds, she just sounds fantastic. And and your whole group that you've put together there sounds like it might not be the most relaxed dinner party in the world. Uh, some Some kind of big personalities in there. But it's going to be a bloody interesting one. I think it would get to a point, there'd be a tipping point where it would be tense and then it would release. And then it wouldn't be one of those ones where everyone was faking it to get on to begin with. You know, you know yeah. what? It would go the other way because a lot, yeah, what is that? There's that rule, isn't there, in business? Swarm, storm, reform or something of the way that groups. Oh, I don't know this. About, about, about the way that groups, you know, you know, like on Big Brother in the first episodes, there would be that thing where they, were, they would always be grinning and, oh, hi, you're so amazing. And then yeah. storm activity. And then they, and maybe there was another stage where they'd all fall about and then they'd reform. You know, they'd all okay, fall. Yeah. They'd Whereas I think this would start with the sort of uh, falling out. Um, <laughs> the understanding would be reached and therefore be more, more long lasting and meaningful. I like that. That sounds like it would be an event, a night to remember at the very least. Yeah. Uh, well, Jeff, it's a it's a fascinating group of people. Uh, you're you're at you know your place, followed by the pub. The last thing we need to know is uh, what menu you'd be putting together for these people. Are are you an, an enthusiastic cook? Not really. I didn't really think about cooking. I I am good at. I'm good at sort of fragrant style Thai dishes, which sounds surprising, but, um, <laughs> but I would go with, I think something prawn based to begin with something simple, uh, mm-hmm. a bit like, you know, prawn cocktail. I'm going for prawn cocktail, maybe a bit fancy lemongrass, I don't know, something like that. And, Ooh, um, lovely. Yeah. and then I do, I do chicken, chicken, no- udon noodles with chicken and, Ooh. Yeah, I'm really hungry, man. I just realised saying this, but <laughs> I like with, with chili and you know one of those kind of curries, a bit of soy sauce, all that sort of stuff. And then Cracking. I don't really, I can't really cook dessert, so dessert would be, you know, I'd get, I'd get that caterpillar cake from M and S. Everyone loves that. Cake. Brilliant. <laughs> that is the great equaliser. There doesn't matter how much money you got in the bank, everybody loves. Everyone loves because the chocolate's cake. just a bit thicker than it needs to be, doesn't you know? And you get that occasional <laughs> exactly. thick wedge of it. Ah, <laughs> oh, Jeff, that sounds like such a cracking uh, dinner party. Uh, just brilliant. Uh, thank you so much, Jeff, for giving up your time to to chat about this, giving it all the thought you did. If our listeners want to stay across your tour dates and if they want to see more from you on social media and that kind of thing, how can we stay in touch with you? It's the best way is just to follow me on Twitter, Jeff Norcott, Jeff spelled with a G, Norcott, N-O-R-C-O-T-T. 
And um, yeah, my podcast, What Most People Think, which is a weekly podcast, which is sort of seeking to look at the topical issues of the day, but maybe coming at them from an angle that's not, you know, a totally familiar uh, in yeah. So yeah, those are the two things, mainly. I've got, you know, a few, about five or six tour dates that I hope to complete before uh, the end of the year in uh, Shrewsbury, in Worthing, uh, in Canterbury, you know, but if, if you, I will be, Brilliant. if you follow me for a little while on Twitter, you'll hear about it soon enough and then you'll probably understand. <laughs> Sounds great. Well, Jeff, thanks so much. I'll add links to all those things into the episode description and I do hope that everything stays okay and that you get to enjoy the rest of that tour. Uh, and thanks so much again for taking the time to speak to me. Thanks for having me on. Cheers, mate. All the best. Bye-bye. Cheers, bye. That was great. Jeff Norcutt's dream dinner party. That is one group of people who wouldn't be short of a strong opinion or two. I really enjoyed hearing about that party. So huge thanks to Jeff for taking the time to talk. We've added links into the episode description to take you to Jeff's Twitter account, his website, and his podcast. I've been having an absolute blast making this series, and I very much hope you're enjoying it too. If you're new to the series, you can check out all our previous episodes with some extraordinary guests. And if you wanted to rate, share, subscribe, recommend, all that stuff, that would be ever so lovely. The Dinner Party is a Jericho comedy production. If you want to hear any more from me, you can visit www.connormcreynolds.com and have a look at some of my other radio podcast writing and comedy work. I'll be back with another episode next week chatting to a brilliant guest all about their dream dinner party. But until then, thanks so much for listening and bye-bye. (laughs) 